0: Hello, I'm Julian Bugini and welcome to the latest in an ongoing series of microphilosophy podcasts looking at how different philosophical traditions around the world shape the way we think. They've been made in conjunction with the Berggruen Institute's Philosophy and Culture Centre, the goal of which is to develop fresh ideas through comparative and interdisciplinary work and relate these insights to the pressing issues of our day. This is the first podcast of Conversations with the Participants in one of the center's workshops held in Stanford, California. This one was about the relationship between hierarchy and equality, and our focus today is on how these ideas play out in contemporary America. Joining me are Kwame anthony Appiah, Professor of Philosophy and Law at New York University, Stephen Macedo, Professor of Politics at Princeton University, and Carlin Romano, critic at large of the Chronicle of Higher Education and Professor of Philosophy and Humanities at Ursinus College. All three of you have talked, to a certain extent, about issues around the justification of hierarchy. But if I start with you, Anthony, I mean, the way you approached it was perhaps quite interesting, because we have hierarchy, we have equality, and these are values which are seen by many people to be in, in opposition. And you were talking about justifying inequality. And we had a kind of an interesting way of looking at it, which is in the sense that, that where does the onus of proof fall on this? And your kind of point of view is we've got to the stage now where it's inequality that has to be justified, not equality. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I think there's two points. One is that, yeah, there is a kind of presumption in favour of equality. So when you treat two people differentially, you need to offer Justification, and that, but that doesn't really give you the full force of it because we've also learned that certain justifications won't do. So you could have said to nineteenth-century uh, American white American, "Well, you're treating her that way and her him that way, and that seems different. So what's the justification?" They might just have said, "Well, he's black." So it's not just as it were a formal requirement that you give some reason. We've learned a long list of reasons that don't do. So there's a kind of negative point. The mere mere fact of being black or the mere fact of being a woman, the mere fact of being gay, these are no longer reasons, morally acceptable reasons for treating people differentially.
0: Now, it seems hierarchy is a thing we seem to feel requires justification. But um, with hierarchy itself, I mean, there are different kinds of hierarchy, right? Some of them more problematic than others. Could you say a little bit about that?
1: Sure. I think that the kind of hierarchy that we sort of historically, I think, learned to be against, which is the sort of classic class hierarchies that you would have seen well-established in 18th and 19th century North Atlantic world, for that matter, many places on the planet. These were ones where people got a differential standing, status, uh, different kinds of respect based on birth. We don't like that anymore. And that's one of the reasons why hierarchies are kind of things we don't like, I think, because those kind of Hereditary social hierarchies strike us as just wrong. And those hierarchies of standing sometimes went with hierarchies of authority so the upper classes could boss the lower orders around. What we haven't abandoned, and I don't think we should abandon, is structures of authority in which some people, for a good reason, have the right to give other people reasons to do things. The reason is, I told you so, and that applies to generals. Though generals characteristically don't just give orders, they give reasons, and the same is true with judges. Judges have authority over everybody in the courtroom. They can tell lawyers to shut up and so on. Often they give reasons, but they don't have to. And whether they give reasons or not, you're supposed to obey. So there are lots of forms of authority of that sort which give people a standing that's very specific, like in a courtroom, or the authority of a police police officer who stops your car, which I think are fine. Uh, and But the point is, they can be justified. We can explain uh, why this person has authority and that person doesn't, and, and we don't explain it by saying um, she's the daughter of a duke.
0: I mean, t- in terms of the, the status hierarchies, are any are we still justified in using them in any?
1: So I, I think status is, if you use the word status as I'm inclined to do, is a very general word. Then yes, the the, the role of a judge gives you a certain status, but it's it's not across the board. It's mm. in the courtroom. And the role of the police officer who stops you gives, gives her or him a certain status. But it's only when she's on duty. She doesn't have the, She has no right to boss you around you know, when you're down the pub. Whereas these sort of older forms of status hierarchy did tend to mean that they were across the board. Blacks were below whites everywhere and every when. Uh, the lower orders were below the aristocracy and gentlemen and ladies everywhere and every when and so on. And uh, what we've got are these more specific ones, and 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 so that's fine, uh, but they have to be justified, and they can't be justified by appeal to race, gender, hereditary standing, and a bunch of other things. Mm -hmm. And probably we'll learn more, for example, how we think about disability. People who have various forms of disability used to be, well, they're disabled, so that's why we're treating them differently. Now we think, well, that doesn't settle the question. It may be that we can adjust the way we treat two people, one of whom is able-bodied and one of whom isn't, to make them more equal. And if we can, we should. Stephen Macedo. Um,
2: well, I mean, I, I think Anthony's absolutely right. I think the, the hierarchies that we rely on nowadays are open hierarchies that anyone can seek to join and rise within. And that's an important part of their uh, legitimacy in, in a democratic society, that, that uh, they're open, not closed, not based on birth. Uh, and that they, uh, as he says, are justifiable, you know, in terms of our collective interests, that, that they serve the... They serve public goods of various sorts, uh, and that they, they, they serve a function. So while we think in a democracy maybe that uh, hierarchies uh, are only legitimate if, if they have a kind of electoral connection, that's actually not true. We have many hierarchical organizations that, that serve purposes that, that are well justified uh, in public-like courts, as he mentioned, that are insulated from demo- direct democratic accountability, but that are accountable in other ways through, the re- through reason-giving in public. Uh, and that's very important uh, so that we can have a democracies flourish when they do, I think because of the, the richness and variety of organizational forms that, that are often hierarchical, that are not simply a matter of direct electoral accountability, but that um, have very often reason-giving and evidence-based accountability, which, which allows them to serve uh, values, to, to represent forms of competence that some people would think democracies tend to lack. There could be an you know, opposition
0: between expertise and, and democracy. Well, perhaps I'll we'll get to say a bit, bit more about that, actually, because we think of democracy as being flat from an egalitarian, yeah. everyone equally. But your kind of view is that hierarchies actually are, are very important for enhancing democracy. So not just compatible with but enhance it. How, how can that be the case? There are different conceptions
2: of democracy, and it's, it's, it's a moral term that we take... To represent very important values, it's a legitimate form of self-rule. It's a form of collective self-rule based on the equality, you know, of all citizens, and that means there are some there are inherent some sort of value terms built into it. So, you know, what we wanted is it's, it's the Greek terms of the demos, the people, and power, the power of the people to rule over themselves. But in order for that to be something legitimate, it should be all of the people ruling over themselves, not some ruling over others. It's not majority tyranny you know, in the way that Madison put it, it's inclusive. So it represents the interests of all and it represents all ruling all. So when we increase the scope of governance, we can we can help to control some of those majority factions and make governance more inclusive in that way. Institutions like courts, by protecting minority rights, they're able to protect minority rights because they're insulated from direct electoral accountability. That makes democracy more inclusive and it makes it more democratic if uh, interests are being taken account of that would otherwise be unfairly ignored. So it makes the public public interest more inclusive, uh, and in other ways, too, agencies of all sorts uh, that are hierarchical, that represent expertise, mean that our policies will be based on values and insight and reasons, evidence, science, that makes it more deliberate, more uh, sounder. That, that presumably, those are policies that we can live with over the long term. So it increases the, the capacity of publics to govern themselves in reasonable and reflective ways. That, that reflect the common interests. So I think there are a whole variety of ways in which uh, unelected hierarchical organizations that are accountable in appropriate ways, including through reason-giving in public, enhance
0: democracy as a, as democracy. I mean, that makes sense to me, but I wonder whether culturally we've got to a stage where people have perhaps forgotten about that sort of richness of democracy, and they now think of democracy as simply being government giving them what they demand. And from that point of view, the kind of hierarchies getting away at that, I, can't remember I mean, as a journalist and a philosopher, and someone who's interested in American pragmatism, I mean, how much does this kind of resonate, do you think, historically with American conceptions of democracy?
3: I agree with both, you know, Anthony and Stephen um, from a very high minded perspective. Uh, in a liberal, humane society. But I think not all people in our society think this way. And I would pull back on my reverence for Dewey in context. Uh, for example, let's think about street gangs and the way street gangs divide up territory in a, in a city. And how they might justify it, or feel they don't have to justify uh, their hierarchical control over territory, be very different from what we're we're talking about here. Here's another different type of example: celebrity. There's a way in which the hierarchy of celebrity exercises power in American society today. Uh, if you're outside a theater and a smart car shows up and it's a famous rock star or movie star, and uh, security comes out, it pushes people back out of the way. Now, that you couldn't get away with in America as a regular person. You couldn't sort of cut in front of the movie line or so. So I I think, I mean, if we're talking about sort of high-minded political theory and high-minded democratic theory, uh, I I agree with a lot of what's been said. But I think in in our society, there's a lot of hierarchical things taking place out of those contexts. I'd add one other thing. Um, Rhetorically, the need for justification. You know, it's an old trick in, in rhetoric to try to justify a position by saying, how dare you think I need to justify it? One of the great examples is Frederick Douglass in what, what to the Slave is the Fourth of July. He said, would you have, you have me argue that the black man is a man? Do not insult me. Would know? uh, you have me argue that slavery is wrong? There is no one under the canopy of heaven who doesn't know that. Right? And so justification is also contextual and rhetorically tricky. You know, there may be cases where your justification in a way is not to say, I aspire to a right, but I have a right, even though it's very clear you don't have that right. But if you say it enough and you take social action, maybe you'll end up with it, All right?
1: <laughs> These are uh, observations, correct observations, about the ways in which what you, like me, regard as illegitimate forms of hierarchy can be generated. And so for, for hierarchy to be okay by our democratic standards, it has to meet certain conditions. Mm-hmm. And the control of, a, of an area of... Philadelphia by a street gang doesn't meet lots of those conditions, mm-hmm. uh, nor does the behavior of many um, many celebrities in our society. And I mm-hmm. think that actually, if there's a place where allocations of something like standing, the old social standing have gotten out of control in in many societies today, in, in our, in the, at least in the North Atlantic world, it is around celebrity and the astonishing privileges that we give to sports mm. stars and, and movie stars and people like that. And it seems to me that practice just doesn't meet the standards of justification. Mm-hmm. And so there's a reason why there might be a democratic revolt against it, why there's a reason why we might say, well, that form of um, allocation of social power to people on the basis, even though it's, even though their achievements are genuine, mm. it's genuinely difficult to be a great uh, basketball player or, or a great actress. Mm. Even though the achievements are genuine, it's sort of all out of whack to give them that much weight.
3: I, I just think there's more disagreement... In society, though, about what needs justifying and what doesn't. So, for instance, with celebrities, I've often, again, as somebody who's done arts reporting and so on, been amazed to show, see the deference that ordinary people do show to this entitlement that celebrities have when they're in a particular Place and just to take another example, let's say you know undocumented, you know aliens or whatever the proper phrase is today, right? The Republicans say illegal aliens and so on. If you think about their status situation in the hierarchy of American life, right? That's a very controversial, live thing right now. Some people think, they're you know, if we could throw them out tomorrow, we should throw them out tomorrow. They have no status in our societal uh, society at all. While others are saying, wait, wait, they're, they're Americans. They've been here for 15 years. You need to justify throwing them out. And so I think, I mean, even within liberal American society, there's enormous amount of disagreement about what hierarchies need justification. And, and they, to me, they fit within democratic theory. One thing
2: that people thought about democracy was that it would be leveling and, mm-hmm. and that people would be impatient with hierarchies of power and authority. One thing we've seen that's astonishing in the United States is that people have a great sympathy with the rich, Fascination oh. with them uh, and, and deference towards them that, oh. in, in some measure that's, that's unjustified. In a way, Americans have become too comfortable uh, with inequality of various kinds and in a way that's quite surprising from the standpoint of what people expected from democracy.
0: Well, one, one of the personal standards which Anthony mentioned that has to be met in order for hierarchy to be justified is that they have to be open to a certain extent. And I think this has been mentioned earlier, that when hierarchies become ossified, that's the problem with them. And, you know, if you think about America at the moment, attitude towards wealth and riches is very interesting. I mean, from a European perspective, we're always surprised at how great tolerance there is of economic inequality in the US. And that's because partly, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it's because in America there's been this idea that you can always escape your economic situation. So it's not a fixed hierarchy, therefore it's okay. And the intolerance we're seeing now, the anger at the established riches now, is perhaps coming from people thinking that these hierarchies actually have become ossified, that the, you, the, the poor can't become rich and, and vice versa. I mean, what is it about hierarchies that become fixed
1: which makes them morally objectionable? Well, if there's a functional justification for a hierarchy, if, if it's the colonel having command because somebody has to decide which way the troops will go, then it should be limited to the context in which you need someone to do that. And the trouble to speak of these hierarchies as ossified is in part to say that they're starting to uh, give people standing in all kinds of contexts, like in movie lines, which have absolutely no functional justification. There's there's no reason why rewarding uh, successful artists, musicians with respect, should lead to a situation where, the, where for the rest of their lives they're entitled to cut the queue. So that's one of the problems. But there is this other very basic idea of, that if, if there are inequalities, if there have to be inequalities, then um, they have to be fair. And one measure of fairness is that nobody's denied the opportunity to try to get them, and whether they get them or not isn't fixed. It isn't fixed by. It isn't a, a fix in the sense of you know putting in a fix in a in a in a in a horse race or something. That if you say that the criterion is you know three A levels, then you you look at everybody who has three A levels, and you don't only look at the the, at the people with three A levels who are you know related to you by marriage. Yeah. Now there can be disagreement about exactly what's fair here. I, I, I you know what are the right criteria for applying. For, for allowing people access to various positions. So, and, the, and there's going to be debate about that. And in a democracy, you settle it by democratic debate. So I don't think that this settles the question in the sense of producing a procedure that's going to guarantee that everybody's going to agree in all the cases. But I think it does mean that we, as it were, know what the questions are we need to ask. We need to ask, what purpose is this allocation of authority or standing serving? And we know that there's some answers that won't do like, well, it's awfully good for the it's awfully good for the black people or it's awfully good for the white people that won't do.
0: So I mean, so broadly speaking, there are various things we sort of touched upon and in the headline terms, there's this idea that hierarchies have to serve a particular purpose. They have to be merited in some way. They mustn't be too too fixed. And uh, I mean, Colin, what you said, there's a, at the end of your paper. You said here. We hire hierarchies because we have jobs to do and hierarchies get those jobs done.
3: But does it boil down to that, that hierarchies are fine so long as they work? Yeah, they work until they don't work. And we decide in a democratic society when they don't work. I mean, I think one interesting illustration of what Anthony was saying was the feeling most Americans would have, say, about the wealth acquired by Bernie Madoff as against the wealth acquired by Bill Gates or so. So, you know, Madoff, he's a trickster and he violates the law and all of that. And in fact, the, the law allows us to try to get a certain amount of that money back to the people who lost it. And nobody thinks it's fair that he had much, uh, did that much. And it's good that he went to jail and so on. But if there's an even playing field and so on, you know, the traditional American idea is that, well, that might happen to me. And I think it even applies to uh, generational transfer of wealth. I mean, there are some like in political life, want to eliminate the estate tax. I mean, you shouldn't be able to push your, well, I mean, some feel that you should be able to push your money to the next generation, right? And that's part of your freedom in earning your money. Others that you shouldn't. But I don't think there's an enormous resentment in American life toward the transfer of money to your children and so on. Uh, It's another exemplification of this attitude that, um, okay, if you rightly earned it, it's okay if you pass it along. So I, I tend to agree that it's when you know wealth is unfairly acquired that we find resentment in American life. And you know that's why I, I was somewhat sympathetic to Harry Frankfurt's argument mm. and on inequality that uh, do we really worry that much about mm. the people who have so much? Let's worry about the people who don't have enough. But there, there is a problem in that Americans
2: are not aware of the extent of inequality and mm. not aware of the extent to which, in fact, uh, inequality is being passed along from one generation to another. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, ch- the chances of rising in America from the bottom quarter or the bottom fifth or the bottom tenth to the top has become much less than mm-hmm. it used to be. And we don't have nearly as much upward and downward mobility as, as we think. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: it's, it's, a, it's, mm-hmm. it's a myth. The, and we- yeah, the most striking thing, I think, is that we've gotten worse. It, it was part of the, the country's self-understanding that, yes, people start off with different things and some people get given money by their parents and so on, but if you work hard, everybody has a shot. Mm-hmm. I think it's just not possible to look at the data anymore and mm-hmm. believe that, which doesn't mean that lots of people don't believe it. Lots of people do continue to believe it, but I think it's just it's just a soci- sociological yeah. nonsense mm-hmm. to say that we're uh, a society of, of great opportunity anymore, unfortunately. The more people grasp that that's true, the more skepticism there may be about... In particular about inherited wealth I mm-hmm. think uh, actually Warren Buffett a famously rich American mm-hmm. has said that he doesn't think it's right to hand on the money he's made to his children mm-hmm. he thinks that they ought to I mean he's going to give them a lot but not he's not gonna give oh. them all but most of it's going to go to a foundation mm-hmm. In fact, it's going to go to the Gates Foundation mm-hmm. so that they can spend that they all their billions together so he's his thought is I don't see that I can think of my children as deserving this Maybe I do because I earned it. I I, I made this huge co- company. I made a lot of money for other people too. And, and I should be allowed to give some to my children. That's sort of part of uh, a natural way of family behavior and so on. But I'm not entitled to turn them into another, to people with my kind of wealth. I shouldn't do that. And he's not going to. So I think there's all the difference in the world between the person who is able to leave the kid the money to start you know, pay to get the mortgage for the first house and the person who's able to transfer billions of dollars. And the first of those doesn't seem so troublesome to most people. But I think the idea that there are huge differentials in wealth and power that are just the result of, of your being born to somebody as opposed to your having done anything at all, I think even in America there's some resistance to that thought.
0: Yeah, I mean, as you say about this idea that you know hierarchies are justified as far as they work. Of course, the, the question is, what does it mean to say something works? Mm. It, there are, it's not just a purely practical question. There are questions of value around that. Oh. It, does it work to produce a society which is fair, is reasonable, is
1: democratic? And in yeah. which people have the kinds of equal relations with one another that, you know, Tocqueville recognizes the mark of a democratic society. The society, it, it's a society in which everybody yeah. can look everybody else in the eye. Nobody's looking down at anybody. Nobody's having to look up at anybody, metaphorically speaking. And if I do think that there are kinds of inequality that make that impossible. And to the extent that they do, they undermine right. the democratic culture, sure. which is required for democratic politics.
2: Just uh, one thing that was an amazing statistic that people may have seen from the New York Times uh, reporting it a few weeks ago is the difference in life expectancy, how much it's grown since the early 70s. It was, I think, the top 10%, bottom 10%, a little bit of a two-year difference of life expectancy at age 50. Now, it's up to something like 13 years. So, it's grown enormously. And uh, the the, the kind of health care that's available to rich people uh, as it compared with poor people is just hugely discrepant. And uh, people's life experiences and life chances have, have diverged quite
0: astoundingly. Oh, well, thank you very much. Anthony Epire, Stephen Macedo, Karin Romano, thank you very much. There'll be more global perspectives on hierarchy and equality and also on freedom and harmony in upcoming podcasts. To keep up to date, subscribe to the Micro Philosophy iTunes feed or follow me on Twitter at Microphilosophy. And do check out the work of the Berggruen Institute's Philosophy and Culture Centre at philosophyandculture.bergruen.org. So until next time, if nothing prevents, goodbye.